Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, friends, to another r slash pro revenge video. If you want to help me in getting revenge against the YouTube algorithm, make sure to hit those like and subscribe buttons down below. That said, our first story of the day is by Armandu. No lipstick on this pig. A recent post reminded me of this story from years ago. While I was living in Singapore, I traveled back to the US East Coast and brought four or five of our Singaporean engineers with me for a conference and some in-house meetings. While visiting, they wanted to do some shopping at a certain high-end department store. It was mid-morning, so the shop was quiet. These were all men in their 20s and 30s, dressed as you would expect typical technical types to dress. As we noisily wandered about the store, we came to the cosmetics counter. As you may know, cosmetic salespeople typically have quotas and can earn commissions and bonuses. They're often young, attractive women and use the products they sell. As my charges approached the counter, it was clear to me that the youthful saleswoman was not interested in engaging with these foreign men. Language was not a problem as English is the primary language in Singapore. I started to approach the woman, but she shot me a look that said move on as she ignored the men. I went around the corner and found a more mature salesperson and asked her to help. She came over and engaged them in conversation. Then, each of the engineers pulled out a paper from their pockets and handed the papers to the woman. These contained lists of high-end cosmetics that their wives requested. The saleswoman only had to collect, bag, and ring up the products. No trying out products, no waffling between choices, easiest sales of the day for well over a thousand dollars. The younger saleswoman was clearly unhappy. Don't presume to know your customers. What I don't understand is, OP was saying the shop wasn't busy at all, right? If there's a chance that maybe they might be customers and you can get, you know, a little commission on it, why not at least hear them out? Do you think this was a good learning lesson for that saleswoman? Or do you think a judgmental person like that probably won't learn from this? Let me know in the comments down below. Our next story is by My Turn for Fun Dan. Fired for someone else's theft, then found out it wasn't me. So around 1979, yeah I'm old, I was working part time at a full service gas station for a little over a year with no issues. They hired a new assistant manager and suddenly my shifts were 50 to $100 short every time. Long story short, they fired me. Three months later they called and apologized. Turns out they should have fired the assistant manager. He was stealing about five different ways. They offered me a full-time job at another location, which I accepted. No references, so I couldn't get another job. Three months in, I landed a better job. I gave no notice, left the lights and the pumps on, left the keys, and my resignation note with instructions to mail my final check. I mean, there's definitely not going to be a lot of love for a corporation that so ruthlessly fired you without doing the due diligence to figure out what actually was going on. Honestly, I'm surprised that they were willing to even reach out to OP and apologize. I feel like a lot of places would just let it go. This next story is by Taj Mao. I stripped an apartment bare when moving out. I rented a two-bedroom flat that was at the middle flat on the ground floor of a building with nine flats. 
Here, we use generating sets when there's electrical blackouts, and they, the lawyer of the house and the landlord, thought it right to put theirs, two generators, at the back of our flat. So you see, the lawyer was an acquaintance who allowed me to pay the rent in two halves. I got to move in pending when I paid the balance. With no ease to my suffering on the horizon, I held back on the balance as a bargaining chip at first, hoping the lawyer would budge. Nope. He became difficult and stopped picking calls up or responding when we met one-on-one, so I started looking for another place after six months. I guess he thought I would submit and pay up because he started asking for the balance and I stood my ground. Threats of legal action followed and after a while, I discovered that there were tenants' rights. Thank you, Google. And when I sent him what I got, he replied with a recalculation of my rent and an eviction date. The thing was, when I moved in, The house was bare, as in there were no light fittings, there were no sockets, no handle on the front door, and the flat was unpainted. Heck, part of the rent was used to complete the wiring. We, I lived with my family, also experienced acts of vandalism. Someone tried to cut my generator cables while it was on, and we also got robbed. This was because one of the fences was really low and easy to jump over, and it was just us that got robbed that time. So I get a new flat months before the due date and take my time. I remove everything I put in the house, every socket, the door handle, the fittings, everything. Couldn't remove the beautiful paint, but it got stained while moving, so there's that. Also here, we have to put iron bars on the window for security, and I cut every single one off and reuse them at my new place. All this was done when he and the landlord were away. The one time he caught wind of what I was doing, he tried to ask the handyman to buy the items off me for me to keep them in the house. The handyman told him to call me. He never did. I laugh at myself every time I remember this because I never thought I could. For a year plus after, I hear other flats got robbed back to back and tenants moved in and out without completing their tenancy. Good riddance. All I know is I feel like it must feel amazing to know like you made that right choice because when you look back at that place, you see all these people getting robbed and it just being really like a dump to live in. It just has to make you feel like you know you made the absolute right decision. Our next story is by Short Ash. Someone decided to use my email address. One day a couple of weeks ago, I got an email from Snapchat about an account needing confirmation from my email address. I don't have Snapchat and certainly wasn't signing up for it that day. The location of the account was in the US. I'm in South Africa, but the weird part was that the username contained a name completely different to mine, and I have my name and my email address. I made sure the email was genuinely from Snapchat and clicked this isn't me or whatever phrase they use to get my email address removed from the account. I got the confirmation that my email address was removed and thought that would be the end of it. The next day, I got another email. My email had been added to the same account again, and the email gave suggested friends from the person's contact list. I was a little annoyed and was going to get my email address removed again before I thought that the person may add it again. Then I realized that I have the username for this person's Snapchat account, and my email is connected to their account. So I open Snapchat in a browser and enter their username and my email address and click Forgot Password. I then changed the password to the account before deleting the account entirely. Snapchat keeps accounts for 30 days after they're deleted in case the person changes their mind. But since this mystery person no longer had the password to the account, they couldn't reactivate it. 
It would have been funny to see the look on their face when they next tried to open Snapchat and found themselves locked out. Be honest, if this happened to you, would you log into that Snapchat just to see like what's going on on that account? Would you have the urge to snoop through the account? Or would you just want it deleted and gone with? Let me know in the comments down below. Our next story is by Alina246. My coworker brings her dishes into work so we wash them in the commercial dishwasher and if I see them, I bin them. A coworker that has consistently been lazy and tries to sabotage my workstation while the manager's working to show that someone's worse at their job than her is routinely bringing in her dirty dishes for us to wash, thinking we wouldn't care or notice. She got in trouble for leaving half-filled mugs of coffee in the storeroom until they had curdled, so now she's dumping them for us to wash. I'm not paid to do her dishes, so I've taken to the habit of, if I see them, I bin them. Surprisingly, she's not bringing in her dirty dishes anymore. I was gonna say this feels like something that you might feel a little morally guilty about. You know, like it's still throwing out all their dishes that they leave there. But honestly, this person is a total jerk. And like OP said, they try to sabotage OP, so you can't feel too guilty about it. Our next story is by Donachius, dealing with the locker thief in high school. This was back in the early 2000s, probably 2003 to 2004 school year. Throughout the entire year, there was a crime wave of people having things stolen out of their locked lockers. Not everyone, but enough that everyone knew someone had happened to. The school's only defense about this was that it was our fault for sharing locker combos with our friends. They also charged us every time we had to get the combination changed on a locker, like after a theft for instance, because it was assumed to be our fault. Well, I had my graphing calculator taken out of my locker. I also never gave out my combination to anyone, mostly because my friends were idiots and we pulled stuff on each other all the time. So I was out $150 for the calculator and another $150 to change the combination getting the locksmith to change out the lock. This is 2003 money, so it's a bit more than now. To anyone who has ever had to buy a TI-86 in 2003 or 2004, you'll know how much the things cost. Well, my dad was drinking buddies with one of the county detectives, I'll call him Detective Buddy, or Uncle Buddy. He went in to talk to the school about these strings of thefts going on so he could get the security camera for the day my calculator went missing and got completely brushed off as it was a non-existent problem and he must have given out his locker combination. The principal told him he would need a warrant to get the camera footage. Then, when he got the warrant, the school fought the warrant in court citing student privacy. Cue the pro revenge. Detective Buddy shows up at our house with a laptop and a laptop bag. He's like, throw this in your locker and tell everyone you know about your brand new laptop. Okay, sure, Uncle Buddy. Three days later, I show up at my locker between classes and the laptop's gone. The bag too. Nowhere to be seen, as is a 24-ounce bottle of Coke and possibly some pens. I take my phone out and text him that the laptop got taken. Stand by for the crap show. Oh, and you reported the theft to the police. For your information, he replies back. Okay, I reply confused. I got about the rest of my day and I don't hear anything back. The following morning, Detective Buddy comes to the school with three uniformed officers and pull a student, Dave, out of class, as well as his mom who works in the front office. The principal is pissed. 
I don't actually hear the cops, but the principal is pissed to no end that he had the audacity to accuse them of theft, and he couldn't just take them out of his school, etc, etc. Well, turns out, there was a tracker in the laptop bag, and Uncle Buddy got a warrant to search a particular house. The laptop had a value of over $1,000, making it a felony. The next afternoon, he set up a tent with a table just outside of school grounds. He also had a banner across the top saying, If you have had something stolen from your locker, see me. By the next morning, Dave and his mom made the paper. Apparently, Dave allegedly used his mom's login information to get onto the school network and get the locker combinations for basically everyone. Then he just opened random lockers looking for valuables to steal, if he didn't get info of a specific locker to steal from. When he set up the stand to get more people reporting thefts, he racked up an astounding number of charges. Each locker counted as a separate misdemeanor unless the stolen object was worth more than $1,000, in which case it was a felony. In less than a week, Uncle Buddy opened and broke an investigation, and they charged Dave and his mom with 9 felonies and 35 misdemeanor charges. When I finally got the story from Buddy, he explained what the situation was. He had me stash a brand new laptop that had a GPS tracking unit stuck in it in my locker, then get it stolen deliberately, then got a warrant to search the property it had been taken to. Now the fun thing to stress is that the laptop was over a thousand dollars in value, pushing the theft from a misdemeanor into felony level. There was also another 8 felony charges, stuff like jewelry that was stolen from other people's lockers and recovered. So any of the locker break-ins that amounted to over $1,000 stolen was a felony charge, and less than 1000 was a misdemeanor charge. Cool thing was that because the calculator and the laptop were separate days, and the combination changed between the days, he caught a felony and a misdemeanor charge off me alone. The 9 felony thefts ended up in the $12,000 range total and the 35 misdemeanor charges were somewhere in the range of $3,000 total in value. Now, that's an awful lot of stuff stolen, but I need to stress that this is only what was proven stolen. Like, this is what they caught him with in his possession that they could trace back to someone. They also didn't let him plead to anything. It was Podunkville's highest profile crime in years, and without a doubt, one of the worst crime sprees the county had seen in decades. Next up on The Revenge, Everyone who had been charged $150 to get their locker combinations changed sued the school district in a class action lawsuit. The justification was that the school did nothing to investigate the 44 proven and more than likely 200 plus cases of locker theft and then charged the money to get the locker combinations changed. There were 218 people in the class and in total everyone got $85 after attorney's fees. The principal also lost his job for being a bonehead and not bothering to attempt to deal with the massive problem that was reported to him going on at the school. The fun thing I need to point out is that the school brought in a locksmith to change out the locks. That's why they justified charging $150. Well, the school already paid the $150 a locker, but they also had to return $100 per locker, meaning that they were out $21,800 plus their legal fees for that class action suit. Next comes the criminal trial and the fallout. The prosecutor's deal was 10 years in prison, 5 in juvie and 5 in adult prison for Dave, and 15 for Dave's mom. Well, they refused that deal and it went to trial. 
Dave got one year prison for each felony, the state minimum, and one month probation for each misdemeanor. So, nine years plus 35 months of probation. His mom received 18 years of jail and six years probation. Having attended much of the best parts of the trial, I'll say this. They had Dave on camera entering 20-plus lockers, and they had him in possession of stolen goods for every single charge they made against him. The judge was also not amused that there were likely other reported crimes that they got away with because they couldn't prove it or they weren't reported. Dave's mom got it worse. That was a fun sentencing to show up for. But the most important thing is that I got my graphing calculator back. It had my name engraved inside the battery compartment. I still have it as well, as a cool story to tell. I think this just goes to show that if you have something that expensive that you have to bring to school, find some spot inside of it that people normally wouldn't check, and engrave or sharpie or whatever your name on it. If it's ever possibly recoverable, you'll be able to point out that hidden compartment that has a very identifying thing, and they'll be screwed. That's why I write my name on all my underwear. Can't lose any of those. Our next story is by Sun Don't Play. Don't help with the group project? Fine. Fail the class. Don't get promoted at work. So this happened a few semesters ago. I'm a big history buff. Always have been. Part of this history class was a group project where we had to pick a year of American history sometime during the 1800s and do a presentation on all the major events of that year. I was known in the class for being a history buff and I partially feel this led to the group dynamics that we had. I feel like my group members basically thought, oh we got OP, he's going to ace this for us. Well, the project started and the group became non-responsive, all three of them. We had a discussion board we were supposed to talk in, none of them responded. We had emails, none of them responded. We had a chat group, none of them responded. After numerous attempts, I went to my professor and complained. My professor said he'd send out a notice to all the students that they need to participate in the group project to get credit. So rinse and repeat, I tried again, and this time, two people responded. One was Ashley. She made a half-butt attempt at setting up a time to figure out what year we were going to cover, and another was Scott. He needed his bachelor's to get promoted, and this was literally his last semester. Ashley ignored the time we set aside. Scott basically said, Hey, I'm super busy. This seems pretty easy. I think it's you lead the charge. To which I said, Fine. Let's do XYZ year, and can you find me some academic sources to use in the project? Scott responded that he's busy, but he'll try. I went to the professor again, said he'd speak to each student individually. I don't know if he did or not, but the end result was the same. Finally, I went to my professor again and he said, do the project, anyone that helps from your group, put their names on the project and I'll grade accordingly. So over the course of two weekends, I knocked out the project myself. It was a pretty fun project and I enjoyed doing it so it wasn't all that bad. When I finished a rough draft of the project, I thought I'd throw out one more lifeline. I emailed the group project to my group and I BCC'd my professor. In the email I said, I completed the project, I need someone to clean up the citations, I need another person to do the graphics, and I need another person to proofread the project. Please let me know who can do what. Two people responded. One was another member of the group, let's call him Tom, who said, I think the graphics look fine. Hint, there were no graphics, which means he never opened the file. Another was Scott, who said he'd clean up the citations. None of them did anything, and I figured they wouldn't. Now, this class was broken down into six potential grading components. 
Discussions 10%, quizzes 15%, midterm paper 15%, midterm test 15%, final test 15%, final project 30%. Therefore, it was nearly impossible to pass the class without doing the final project. So I completed the project. I actually submitted a week before the deadline. Two days before the project was due, all three of my group members reached out to me asking if I had submitted the project. I said I had. It was a good project and I'm sure it'd be graded well. They were all very happy to hear that. Professor graded the project and gave me a 95% on it, which I was quite happy with. The professor also wanted to clarify what contribution did I get from the rest of my classmates. My response? None. None of them helped. I decided to inform the group of my good grade. They were all so happy, many so confident they were guaranteed to pass the class. Well, everyone else in my group project got a zero because they didn't help. All three of my group members were really pissed off, especially Scott, because Scott needed to pass this class to get promoted at work. He needed a bachelor degree, and this was one of his last credits he needed. I remember the call between Scott and I, You didn't put my name on the project? I responded, no, I sure didn't. Why not, he demanded. Because you didn't help at all. In his defense, he fired back, but I was busy with work. To which I fired back, we all have lives. I also have a job, a wife, and a baby. I don't need your excuses. To which he advised me that since he failed the class, he wasn't getting promoted at work. And the promotion was really important to him. To which I said... If the promotion was important to you, you should have helped with the project. But apparently that promotion wasn't as important as you claim. Ashley and Tom were both upset, but less so. Maybe they learned a lesson from it? After all, isn't that what college is about? Learning. I'm seriously wondering if OP just got like paired up with three of the least effort-giving people in this class? I almost wonder if the professor chose these groups... I wonder if they picked OP, who was obviously doing very well, and chose three doing not-so-hot students to go with them just to see what happens. Just for the fun of it, you know? This next story is by Curly Ginger Pants. Basic? I'll give you basic. I work at an animal shelter, and lots of dogs that come to our shelter don't have names, so we get to name them. Last week, we got a transfer of about 20 dogs from a shelter in New Mexico, all without names. It's kind of an unspoken rule that whoever bathes a dog on intake gets to name it, and it's common courtesy to not argue unless it's offensive. So my coworker named a dog Bentley because she thought it was cute. One of our really witchy coworkers was really annoyed by this and said, Can you not give our dogs basic names? This same coworker has been known to give the dogs stupid names like Duper. So we all proceeded to name all the dogs things like Spot, Benji, Rosie, Ruby, and Bella, because screw that witch. This actually makes me wonder, like, what the rates are. Like, does it increase or hurt the chances of a dog getting adopted if they have a more unique name? If a dog in a shelter has a more common name, would there be any stats that show those dogs get adopted more? Maybe it doesn't really factor into things much at all. Our next story is by HikerChick66. Destroyed my lying, cheating, abusive ex-relationship. Her and I are now friends. My ex began trying to hoover me back in typical narcissist fashion. Text saying he loved and wanted to marry only me. We meet out for dinner. He tells me that he's casually dating a woman named S. He also says that they had a trip to Mexico planned the following month 
but that he was only going out of obligation because he wants to spend his life with me. I just played along and asked to see a picture of S. He shows me a pic of him and a woman. I immediately recognized her. The name is A. When I got home, I contacted A through Facebook. She knew who I was because the ex and I had been together over 8 years. They'd been friends since before he and I got together. I sent her screenshots of everything. She was devastated, but thankful I contacted her. They'd been in a relationship for a year. He was doing to her exactly what he had done to me. Cheating and lying. A and I decided to turn the tables on him. He was still trying to play us both. Her and I simply played along for a few days until we could drop the hammer. A had arranged plans with him one evening, but instead met me for dinner. It took him over an hour to begin calling and texting, asking where she was. She then broke up with him via a text. He of course was blowing up her phone, which she was ignoring. Four minutes after she dumped him, he began texting me, asking me to come out and meet him. Four minutes! I told him I was out with a friend and asked if she could come too. He said, sure, I'm buying the drinks. Our waitress took a photo of us, which I sent to him. Told him to never contact me again. This all happened two days prior to New Year's and three days prior to his birthday. Oh, and the trip to Mexico? Non-refundable. He paid 4000 for it. It was all in her name. She cancelled the whole trip, but told them that she and I were going together, icing on the cake. This guy is definitely a doofus, and I can only imagine the pit in his stomach when he opens that text message image and sees both of the people he's trying to cheat and sleep around with hanging out together. And our final story of the day is by I'll Do It Tomorrow, how a scammer tried to recruit me and sent me money. Recently, I've been more and more into fitness and buying used gym equipment on Facebook Marketplace. My next big purchase was going to be a top-of-the-line rowing machine, but my wife might not have approved the price of it. I finally found a deal on a great machine at the low cost of $750 instead of $1,500. Maybe my excitement at this deal made me miss a few early red flags, but this was too good to miss. I started messaging this person, and luckily for me, the rowing machine was still available. We start planning for a pickup the next morning. This is where the first red flag appears, which I brushed off out of excitement. The person requested a deposit of $250 since the last person never showed up, and that she would never scam someone out of their hard-earned money, but ain't no way in heck I was giving a deposit for a pickup the next day and also a sale on Facebook. So I offered to do an interact transfer to her, but I'd only give the password once I arrive in order to accelerate the transaction, and the person agreed. Fast forward a few hours, and she sends me a message that she hasn't received the transfer yet. Odd, usually takes maybe 15 minutes. I check my banking app and all looks good, so I just tell her to be patient. About 20 minutes later, I get an email from Interact saying that my transfer failed and to retry with this link. Scammer bells ringing in my head. As I'm looking at this fishy email, at the very same time, the person replies, Sometimes Interact fails and you need to try again through an email. I mean, how to make it more obvious you sent the email? On an iPhone, you can long press a link to get a preview of it without actually clicking the link. So I did it with the email, and it redirected to a fake Interact website made with Wix. Wix is like a free-to-use build-your-own-website tool. So now I'm in full-on detective mode, and I find way more red flags. 1. Facebook profile made in 2022. 2. Address leads to an empty lot on a road. 
3. In the pictures, the manhole covers aren't from my country. 4. The person wouldn't understand everyday expressions we use in Quebec. Now this is where my petty revenge starts. Because of the scammer, I've lost $3.50 because I had to cancel my Interact e-transfer. I had one goal and it was to find out where they lived and waste their time. So I start creating my own fake e-transfers and using Grabify, I create every link in the email to be a link that sends me their location and just redirects them to the Interact main page. I even looked at old emails I had received from other e-transfers and used them as templates for my new fake ones. After many back and forths, the person finally clicked on a link and I got their IP and location. Benin, Africa. I then asked them how the weather was in Benin and they stopped answering, so I went to bed. I woke up around 2am to the sound of my crying baby and as I was putting her back to sleep, I looked at my phone to find multiple messages. Oh, you know Benin. Have you ever been to Benin? Have you ever worked with people of Benin? So I start answering back that I've only ever been to Morocco and never had the chance to work with people from Benin. She then asked me if I would be interested to work with them for a 25% cut of all transactions, aka a money mule where I would receive the money, take my cut and send them the rest. I told them I would be interested with the goal of wasting their time, but since they already tried to scam me, I don't think I can trust them, so I would only consider it if they sent me $50 as a sign of good faith. She said that it wasn't possible and that I should trust them. I replied saying that I thought they were a serious business, or maybe she just didn't have the decision-making power to make it work with me. I guess this got her because she sent me her boss's email in order to deal with him. Once I got in touch with him, he said he would only do it if he sends $50 and I send $25 back as a trial for the transferring system and that he trusts me. I replied, I would never scam someone out of their hard-earned money. So then he sent me $50 e-transfer. I was so hesitant with this last link because it seemed actually legitimate. I figured if I clicked on it and it redirects to my banking app, it was actually real. And turns out, they actually sent me $50. Then I blocked them from every place they contacted me and bade my wife and I an awesome supper. Thanks for reading through this whole story. Be safe and don't get scammed. Phishing is a very real thing and you gotta be super careful. Most times it's pretty blatantly obvious, but to be honest, it was kind of smooth in this case. You think you're talking to a real person on Facebook, an email seems fairly legitimate and the person tries to like back it up. You definitely gotta be cautious. 100% of the time when you're doing stuff involving money online. Definitely make sure who you're talking to, what links you're clicking on, and where you're putting your information in is 100% legitimate. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. So of all these stories I've read today, which is your favorite and why? Let me know in the comments down below. And if you haven't yet, if you could like and subscribe, that would mean a lot to me. Whatever you do, whether it's liking, subscribing, turning notifications on, all of it helps grow this channel and I appreciate the heck out of it. So until next time, I'll see you all tomorrow with some more stories.